This is Finding Satan. When I wake up, I have an email from Black Hole Sun. I delete it without opening it. I don't want to hear anything they have to say. I'm a little uncomfortable that they found my email address, but I try not to think about it. Why borrow trouble? Instead, I drink three cups of black coffee and get ready to go. I totally get why Sarah didn't want to just sit around researching. I have the urge to get out there. To just go. Somewhere. Anywhere. I have total respect for the keyboard warriors who can spend all their time online. The investigators who solve cold cases or find missing persons sitting behind a screen. But that's just not me. It bugs me to have anything in common with Sarah, but whatever. It bugs me even more that she didn't find all the circles. She didn't even look. I'm not going to make her mistakes. I'm going to Dallas. I hate to put the miles on the loner, but Easy will forgive me. And I found something that justifies the trip. I'm not retracing Sarah's footsteps anymore, at least not today. I'm looking for the things she missed. But Sarah went to Dallas, you might say. Sure she did, to meet with that Catholic guy. You know, the one her fake advisor set her up with. Have you heard that the best way to hide something is to hide it in plain sight? I have. Dr. Carlisle was doing something similar. A little misdirection, a little drama with the Archbishop, and Sarah wouldn't look at anything else. She wouldn't notice the real thing. I found it, though. I found it because I was looking. How could there not be a circle in Dallas? I don't mean downtown or old Dallas. The circles seem to be in out-of-the-way places. Parks, wilderness, or that one in a suburb. Suburbs are great for hiding things, and Dallas has grown really, really fast. There's a lot of forest and out-of-the-way farmland that have been taken over by housing developments and strip malls. And you know what really, really thrives in burbs around Dallas? Mega churches. Churches as big as stadiums. Not your quiet, modest little stone buildings, Big concrete beasts with neon lights and giant SUVs in the parking lot. That's what got my attention. All of the land that's been paved over or built around. There's a couple of things you look for when you're looking for some spooky shit, sure. But there's one thing, one sign so big that everyone misses it. Missing girls. Lots and lots of missing girls. Every town has a few that go missing every year runaways or worse. And there are a lot of little suburbs north of Dallas. Sorry, I'm not explaining this very well. Let me start over. 10,000 girls have gone missing in the suburbs north of Dallas in the last three years. 10,000 girls. Why hasn't anyone noticed? That sounds like a lot, right? Here's why. There are maybe 10 different cities in the area I'm talking about. Those 10 cities are in three counties. Four of those cities have been in the national top 10 fastest growing suburbs list for the last five years. They've quadrupled in size every single year. So if you average out the 10,000 girls, that's only 333 girls per year per city for the last three years. That sounds higher than average, right? It isn't, at least not by much. 
You can do a lot with numbers to make something sound bad. You can do even more to make something sound like no big deal at all. But 10,000 missing girls should be a very, very big deal. A few of those keyboard warriors I told you about have noticed. They've done the math. And a couple of those few have done even more research. They cross-referenced other events, something that happened three or more years ago, to try to correlate anything else to the start of this rash of disappearances. I think you know where I'm going with this. The North Texas Spiritual Baptist Megachurch opened its doors a little over three years ago, servicing three counties and 10 cities in the suburbs of North Dallas. This church is famous for its youth programs, youth choir, youth retreats, teen recovery, teen retreats, lock-ins, teen prayer groups, teen dating mixers, after-school programs, daily activities. And for the parents, services Wednesday and Sunday and family counseling. That's it. According to my source, who talked to some of the church members pretending to be interested in joining, a lot of the services, including counseling, are focused on getting couples to send their teens to the youth programs, quote, for the betterment of their marriage and family bonds. It takes a village, someone once said, and this church seems to agree. They want to be that village. They want your kids badly. A lot of the missing girls went to this church. Is it proof of anything? No. Probably 30 to 50% of the families in the three counties attend this church. Statistically speaking, there is likely to be quite a bit of sample overlap. But is it enough to pique my interest and drive to DFW? Yep. The Nissan isn't the smoothest ride, but she makes good time. Compared to Betty, it's like riding in a tin can, rattling around on the freeway, but I'm able to go 85 most of the way. And really, some days that's all a girl can ask for. Clear roads, a car that doesn't break down, and oh yeah, not getting murdered by a Texas megachurch. Hopefully I hit the trifecta. I'd looked up the church on Google Street View and the parking lot looked bigger than the town I came from. I didn't see any big flashing arrows saying, yo, black circle over here. And I didn't see any actual black circles. No harbingers or goats either. Maybe they keep them inside. I don't have much of a plan. It's a long enough drive that I thought I'd come up with something on the way, but all I've got is look around and don't get murdered. Solid. I pull off the tollway and navigate the access roads to the church. It's pretty hard to miss, even in broad daylight. At night, it's lit up like a fireworks display. The parking lot is massive. I feel like I'm at the state fair or a mega mall, but it's just this massive, sprawling church. The parking lot isn't empty, but it's not full either. There are more cars than I'd expect for a Tuesday. At least I think it's Tuesday. I sit in my car for a minute, trying to come up with a plan. I feel even more like Sarah now, idiotically driving somewhere and just hoping I'll feel the evil or something. I don't. I don't feel anything. Someone knocks on my window, making the decision for me. It's a nice blonde lady. I can tell she's nice because she's smiling with all her teeth, and they're very bright in the sunlight. She keeps smiling at me until I realize I'm supposed to roll down my window, an embarrassing process in this crappy Nissan. Her smile gets a little tight around the edges in that I'm patiently waiting look that reminds me of TV moms. I finally get the window down, which is good. She looks like she's about to crack. Hey. Hey, sugar. 
You want to come in? We don't bat. I was just, yeah, figuring stuff out. Whatever you're going through, we're here for you. Everyone is welcome here, honey. We used to help in troubled teens. Thanks. That's why I'm here, I I guess. Well, come on, sugar. This parking lot's only getting hotter. I roll up the window, but it gives up an inch from the top. Fine. This Nissan's going to do what it's going to do. I follow her up the large steps and into the blessed air conditioning. It feels so good compared to the tepid air of the car. I breathe in the scent of lemons and something. The foyer is white and clean, filled with white roses and empty of pictures or any warmth. I'd love to have you meet our youth pastor. Everyone just loves him. Um, sure. She pats my arm and it takes everything I have not to grab her hand and break it. You're safe here. It's okay. Bullshit. She leads me to a stairwell and we go down. I bet they make their administrative staff work down here with no windows. This seems like that kind of place. We've got offices upstairs for service days, but this is where the real work happens. Everything about her reminds me of drinking lemonade right after brushing your teeth. We walk through a maze of hallways until we get to a door that's decorated with, I shit you not, cutouts of electric guitars. Wow. The door is open, so she knocks on the doorframe. Come on in. He stands up as we walk in, and he's got a tan, and his hair is toffee and gold. I bet his hair budget every month is more than my rent. My escort moves to stand next to him. She's got that body language that says she wants to touch him, and I can tell that he's the sun her particular planet orbits around, but he doesn't even look at her. Who do we have here? I bet he never asks questions he doesn't already know the answer to. Oh my, I'm afraid I didn't catch your name, sweetie. Carly. Close enough. He grins at me, all teeth and all shucks energy. Carly, it is great to meet you. I'm Pastor Jim. You can just call me Jim, though, since I can tell we're going to be real good friends. I cannot tell you how much I want to punch this man. We're real casual here. He nods at her. Thank you for bringing me and my new friend together. Even though she's clearly not playing with a full deck, she knows her cue to leave, so she does. Let's sit down and get to know each other. I take a seat in one of the padded wood chairs by the desk. He perches right on the edge, just a little too close to me. What brings you to us, Carly? I hesitate, and he puts his hand on my knee. I think it's supposed to be comforting. Family trouble? I nod. Sure. You don't need to say any more. We've got a lot of youth programs here. Whatever's going on at home or at school, you've always got a safe place here with us, anytime. The building's open 24-7, and you can text me whenever you want. I only give out my phone number to my special friends, and I can tell you and I are going to be close. He hands me his card, and I tuck it into my jeans. He seems to be waiting for something, but I don't give him any reaction. How about I tell you about some of the special programs we have here? He asks, and I nod again. Can I... can I get a tour? 
I ask. He looks surprised, then pleased. Well, sure. How about I show you around and tell you about all the chill stuff we do here? I stand up and realize he's not that much taller than me. The hair, though. His hair adds a few good inches to his height. I can tell he liked it better when I was sitting because he starts chattering again, telling me all about the chill activities they have for teens as he leads me back through the maze of hallways. I'm not going to bore y'all with the details, mostly because I don't want to bore myself by reliving them, but here's the short version. I saw a pool, a gym, a basketball court, a ballroom, TV studio, cafeteria and coffee shop, the mega church itself, the fancier office area, upstairs, lots of glass and light, a few showy offices and conference rooms. I saw some kids hanging out in a game area. There was even a small library, but it looked like it was filled with religious books and other propaganda. Everything was clean and pretty, and most of all, everything was inside the building, so you had to go through the big lockable double doors to get in or out. I noticed things like that. I tuned out most of his narrative since the takeaway was basically that their programs enrich teens, save lives, teach about the Lord, and keep kids off the streets. All the teens I saw had straight teeth and clear skin, perfect hair, and looked nothing like any teenagers I'd ever met outside this church. It looked fun and chill and kind of like a massive spa, except all the pamphlets were about youth ministry instead of skincare. Although based on all the nice skin I was seeing, maybe there was some skincare involved too. I wouldn't rule anything out. They do the lock-ins in the ballroom, he said, and I shuddered. Hormones, junk food, and overnight preaching? Sounds terrible. We lingered there for a bit while he explained how they do their lock-ins. I hate to sound like Sarah again, but that was the part of the tour that gave me the creepiest vibes. I messed up one time during the tour when he asked about my parents signing a permission slip for a lock-in. I don't have any, I said automatically, and he paused and gave me an unreadable look. I'm 18, I clarified, but he still didn't say anything. I live with my aunt. You poor thing. He murmured and looked at my arms. I thought he was looking at my tattoos, but he didn't react. Maybe he was looking for track marks or scars. I got a chill and rubbed my arm self-consciously. That was the worst of it. Otherwise, it was just a tour of some shit I wouldn't be interested in under normal circumstances. He asked me to fill out some form, and when I shook my head, offered me the visitor's log instead. I hesitated. I didn't want to give them any of my real contact information. It's okay, he said reassuringly, and that gave me an out. I'm just scared, I whispered, and since we were back in the foyer, I looked longingly at the doors. I gotta go. I headed for the doors. I'll be back when I can, I called over my shoulder, and then I was out of there. I spotted the cameras on the way out. I wanted to give them the finger, but I refrained. After all, I do intend to go back. But is Carly or is Clara? I'm not sure yet, and I'm the kind of girl who likes to keep her options open. The Nissan welcomes me back with a stench of hot fabric and a slightly sputtering start, and then we're off. It's only as I'm pulling out of the parking lot that I realize I didn't see any other adults other than Pastor Jim and the lady who escorted me in. You know, the lady who never told me her name. And they never talked about any particular religious beliefs. 
I also didn't see any room full of missing girls or any dead bodies or giant signs saying, girls, this way to the slaughter. So all in all, it was a bit of a disappointment. They didn't even feed me. I'm hungry, so I head over to the local restaurant called Twin Peaks in a strip mall near the church. I order a burger and a beer and watch all the middle-aged office bros watching the waitresses jiggle around. My waitress's name tag says Nikki with an E, and she's really sweet. When she drops off my food, I ask her if she really spells her name like that, and she laughs. Of course not. Jesus. I told them I go by Nicole, and they said every girl has to have a fun, kicky nickname. And they said I have to, quote, spell it fun. Their words. She's got that wholesome Texas look with tan, muscular legs. I appreciate a good muscular leg, let me tell you. And she eyes me in return, taking in my whole look. You don't seem like you're from around here. Yeah, I don't exactly fit in with the North Texas Soccer Mom Association. Hmm. Good for you. She says, and then heads out to deal with a group of IT-looking guys who need more sweet tea. Next time I see her, she's dropping off my bill with an extra beer. On me. And I tip it in her direction before taking a drink. Know anything about the megachurch over there? I ask, waving my beer in that general direction. Her face sours. I know enough to stay away. Why? She looks guarded now. Friend of mine disappeared, I tell her. I heard they got a history. She nods slowly. Yeah, that they do. Another table calls to her. Look, I gotta go, but text me later. Here's my number. She scribbles it on a napkin and passes it to me. I got off work at four. Nice. I take the napkin and leave her a big tip. I don't plan on being here any longer than I have to, but you never know. I'm feeling pretty good about my day as I head out to my car, tucking the napkin into my pocket and getting out my car keys. But what I see next to the Nissan stops me in my tracks. She's got sunglasses on, but I can feel her glare from where I'm standing. Her dark hair sucks in all the light around her, and she's wearing faded black jeans and a black t-shirt that looks like it's seen some shit. Oh fuck, it's Annabelle. Finding Satan is written and directed by Gabrielle Awe, produced by Jeremy Herbel, and starring Abby Claus and Mike Scalero. Finding Satan is a Black Cat Collective podcast.
Inside.